It's my privilege uh, each time I'm up here. I, I think of um, Donald Sanukian, who's a guy you never heard of, um, but he uh, is a pastor for many years and then also a, a seminary prof out in one of the seminaries in California um, that uh, he has this saying, when we stand before, any of us stand before to preach God's word, or if you're in a, teaching our kids in the back, or you're working with our youth on a Wednesday night, the privilege in preaching, which just means proclaiming, pointing to God's word, he said, it's, our, our privilege is, look at what God is saying to us. So look at what God is saying to us. Part of what he's pointing out there is we want to look. We are a Bible church unapologetically. I don't come up here with fancy stuff to say. I just try to point out a few things that are somewhat plain on the page, or maybe we, we may not see, but wanting us to see those. But we can often, Bible churches, become, look what God said. Look what God did. And those are important, and we rehearse that in the Lord's Supper. But the scriptures are living and active. And God is the living God, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's my privilege simply to say, look at what God is saying to us. We can't know that if we don't know what he said to the original audience through a guy like Dr. Luke. So that's why we take pains with that. But I want the pains today perhaps to be um, just the strain of listening, what God is saying to you. And I don't even mean just here. I mean already the, what we have rehearsed in the Lord's Supper, the songs that we have sung. Just singing of the initiating, pursuing love of God. There's no shadow that you won't light up. There's no mountain that you won't climb up coming after me. And some of you today need to personalize that. So before we hear what God is going to say to us today and is saying to us today, which will be all about that, I pray and was praying while we were singing for myself and for you that we might be receptive to God saying, that's how much I love you. And no matter how far you are, I'm coming for you. And that's exactly what we'll see today. In order to get there, Luke 15 is the key chapter in Luke's gospel. Um, because in it, Luke gives us the heartbeat of his gospel to a young man named Theophilus. He said, I went to pains, Theophilus, to put this together in an orderly account. I wanted it to be uh, have some order to it just in terms of timing, but particularly in terms of I want you to see that you, though you're a Gentile and came into what started as mostly a Jewish faith, you are included. You are not on the outsider. And he said, I did this. I put it in exact order so that you might know for certain or in your bone of bones and heart of hearts the things you have been taught. And what you've been taught is that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost that we would think that God only comes for the insiders and those who've cleaned their stuff up. And Luke says, no, no, no. All of us have messed it up. All of us are a mangled mess. All of us put on airs and appearances, and God sees through all of that. And yet, that doesn't have to haunt us. That can actually, when we understand that he knows us as we are at our worst, and 
while we were at our worst, Christ died for us. Therefore, you are, you are invited. And that's the surprise of Luke's gospel. And so Luke 15 is really that key chapter because it gives us that picture of his heartbeat for you and for me, the heartbeat of heaven for outsiders. And we covered the most uh, familiar part of Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal sons, plural, or you could call it the parable of the initiating father. Um, we know it most traditionally as the prodigal son. We've covered that uh, earlier in the fall when we began going through Luke. I'm not going to go through that today, but we'll see its connection because all of Luke 15 is these three parables or stories. But today we're just going to explore the first 10 verses. To catch ourselves up to this journey that we are on with the resolute one as he heads to Jerusalem, at the end of chapter 14 in verses 25 to 35, Jesus' audience is no longer, he had been in this kind of private dining setting with some prominent Pharisees, and some of his disciples were probably there, but not many else. But now he's back on the road, if you will, and there, uh, it's a very, very large crowd, Luke wants us to know, that's been following him. And so Jesus, as he often does, when the crowds come, he's like, I'm not about that. I'm going to draw some lines in the sand. And he, and he gives this call to count the all-in cost of being his follower. He says three times, if this doesn't mark you, then you cannot be my disciple. He says some very clear line in the sand drawing kinds of things that would have thinned crowds, and it did thin some crowds. But he ends it, if you'll look back up, and there's the first slide here, he ends it in verse 35 with, he who has the ears to hear, who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not saying, so, you know, make sure your auditory stuff is working. He, he is, but what he's really saying is, in effect, I'm inviting you, and he's inviting us, to tune in to my kingdom and what my kingdom values and what my kingdom is about and the cost of being part of that, but the open invitation that he gave surprisingly, not to the insider. They were invited, but they rejected it. So he went to the highways and the byways, the highways and the hedges, and he invited the blind and the lame, those who couldn't repay. He says, that's the kingdom is inviting them. And then beyond them, I'm going to, for them scandalous, I'm going to the Gentiles, which is most of us in here. I'm going to the outsiders. And he says, and through all of that cost of discipleship, he says, I want you to attend to this. Use these, but use this and use this to attend to and respond to him. Now we begin in Luke 15, 1 and 2, to see whose, whose ears are attentive to listen and who are those who are tuning him out. Pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Notice there are two groups within this now, this, this audience. Um, there are those who are what we would call the outsiders, especially for them, the outsiders, the tax collectors, the sinners. These are the outside sinners. These are people who were on the outside, but also knew they were on the outside. 
And so therefore, when this rabbi comes and he's kind of messing with the religious insiders, they, they kind of like that, but they particularly like his message and his way of being with them, and they are drawn to listen. Some of yours, your translations say uh, they were, come, they were um, the tax collectors and sinners, all of them were drawn to him. That's who is drawn to Jesus, the sinners, the tax collectors, the disenfranchised, the sidelined, the marginalized, those who don't get invited to the cool kid parties, those who aren't esteemed by those who've got their lives together. They're the ones who are drawn to Jesus. And we'll, we'll say this toward the end, but I just want to say this here. If you're an outsider, know that Jesus' heart is ignited toward you. And if we've been around the block a little while and we are believers and seeking to follow him, then how much are those who are far from him drawn or repelled by us? Jesus was very clear couple verses earlier, you cannot be my disciple, and yet they were drawn to him. He didn't water down his message at all, but there was a magnetism about one who knew his identity with the Father, knew what, what the gospel is and was, and knew that we all needed him. And I just paused there because I think that may be what most of us in this room, because that's what this is going to be about. What is God's heart? What's his pulse in his pursuit of outsiders? And how is my heart attitude? And how is my disposition? How are my relationships with those who don't know him? Are they recoiling ones? Are they non-existent? Are they winsome? Would they know that you cared? That's the first group. They're the ones who have the ears to hear. The ones who are tuning them out is the second group. And we are surprised because we would think that those who are the religious ones, those who know the word, and this guy's this kind of, you know, magnetic preacher of God's word. We think they'd be tuned in, and they are tuned in, except for they're tuned in, ready to, to trap him. We've seen that over and over. And if we'd call the outsiders the, the sinners, we might call these the self-righteous seethers. They are grumbling. The word in the original is awesome because it's one of those, here's a, a $20 word you learned in like junior high, onomatopoeia, that you never use and don't know how to spell. I don't. All that means is you can just like, here, here, let me use my word again, visceral, okay? Visceral, like, that's what it, that's what it, even the word in an original is kind of like, Ugh. that's how they were. And it grows louder and louder and more grumbly and grumbly as it goes along. They've been already grumbling, but the grumbling is now quite obvious. And what's their grumbling accusation? This man welcomes or receives sinners and eats with them. Now, back then, we don't think of this way, but when you don't eat with somebody that you are 
enemies with. You don't eat with somebody that you feel like is not in the class status that you have. And so Jesus, in his eating with them, in his also very, this is a very personal thing because you reclined at table. The table would have been low and you would have been leaning one way or the other, maybe leaning this way probably, but your way this way, leaning up against the chest of the person you're eating with. If you're in, again, this low couch type setting, you don't do that with just anybody. And yet they said, this man, this man, they have such contempt and disdain for Jesus. Like this man, he claims to be a man of God, but he welcomes, he invites. In fact, he has the audacity, and and this is kind of how I enjoy living too, he has the audacity to invite himself to other people's houses. Well, I often do that. (laughs) Um, But they're like, he dines with, reclines with sinners, and he knows they're sinners, so what's he saying to us? This man welcomes them and eats with those who are on the outside. And there were, there were traditional writings elsewhere that would say those who were this kind of uh, godless sinner, that, that, that they're in the, this tradition. This is not biblical, but a tradition would be like, and God cast them out and wants nothing to do with them, basically is the summation of the traditional heart attitude toward the sinner. Tax collectors, we understand it a little bit. We've talked about it before. They built their own people. They padded their own pockets by aligning with Rome to get a tax office nearby. Now I can tax all my neighbors and relatives whatever price I want because I owe Rome this much. I'm going to make my margin this much. And then it's going to go to this much. That's why Zacchaeus is such a big deal later in Luke 19. They hated tax collectors. You're a traitor and a filthy criminal being a tax collector. And then also sinners is often those who were, um, name any of, any of our sins, if you will, of the day, of sexual immorality, of, of getting involved in other seedy types of things. These were the people that the Pharisees are like, he welcomes them and he eats with them. This grumbling we've heard before in Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus talking. This is what they're saying about him. And he says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. In other words, it'll come out in the wash. Your attitude toward God, your attitude toward sinners, you're you're thinking of yourself. It's going to come out in the wash. You can call me drunkard. And and. This one, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Again, he has the reputation of welcoming and eating with them, and he's a friend to them. He doesn't just tolerate them. He's a friend to them. In fact, look at the next one. This is the scene in Luke's gospel earlier with Matthew. Matthew um, has a party. Uh, Jesus had uh, called Levi or Matthew to follow him as his disciple, and he's like, me? And as a tax collector? And then there's a big party. And who does he invite? The people that he hangs with, the people that he knows. And Jesus is glad to be right up in the middle of that thing. He says, made a great feast in the house, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. There they are again at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Here's why, Jesus said. 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Luke's key verse in his whole gospel, after he uh, interfaces with Zacchaeus and goes to Zacchaeus' house, also a tax collector, can you throw up Luke 19, 10? This is the key to the entire gospel of Luke. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Came to, what we'll see in just a moment, intensely search for and pursue and go after that which was lost. Not the ones who think of themselves as in, but those who know they are lost. And those who the insiders would say, God would never have anything to do with them. And Jesus says, I'm here to embody the heart of heaven and what heaven truly values. So the key question in both groups' minds is this. Next slide. What is God's attitude towards sinners? Again, I said this earlier. If you, if you do not know Jesus Christ right now, if you, if you came because somebody invited you today, or if, you, if you're like, I just came, I don't even know why. This question is in the back of your mind. It's also in the back of all of our minds because some of us have been following Jesus but have gotten off that following. We've, we've kind of, we've drifted. And you have the same question, just like I do. What's your attitude toward me, one who professes you but has grown kind of drifty away from you? My heart has grown cold or indifferent toward you. What's your attitude toward me? That question in their minds, the Pharisees going, why in the world does he hang out with them? He, must, he can't be God's man because what's God's attitude toward sinners? And the sinners who were there, he tells the parable, he says, look, so he told them this parable, that's the scribes and Pharisees, but he tells it within earshot of those who are on the outside. And he knows they're there listening because he wants both groups to know. He's still inviting these religious elite. Join and align with God's heart, with my heart. Don't harden your heart, but be softened toward the outsider. And for the outsider, he wants them to hear. I want you to know just how valuable you are to the Heavenly Father. Uh, let's read verses 3 through 10. We're going to get both parables. The lost sheep and then the lost coin. So he told them this parable with that question in mind. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus comes out of his story and tells the crowd, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, verse 8, what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, 
I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These are three parables that give us searches and celebrations. The next slide there, I think. In Luke 15, again, we already went through the prodigal sons. But these are all stories about searches and celebrations. The shepherd goes searching, and it's a physically demanding one. It's a life-risking one. It's a risking something happening to the other 99 one. It's probably the family going, what are you doing? I mean, it's, it's just right off the loss. Here we go. But there's an intense search. It's 99 to 1. I want you to see the ratios. Uh, you can go back one. The 99 to 1. And then the lost coin. There are 10 coins that she had, but one is lost. So there's still nine that she has, but the one is so valuable that she goes on a frenzy to find it. And in both of these, you see the intensity of the search, the drivenness to find what is lost. And then again, we're not going to go through the prodigal sons today, but it moves closer and closer to home. It's out in the pasture, actually in the wild, to the pasture, to the, to the floor of the house, to the actual home relationships. Because the first two, you can kind of go, well, that's sort of property, sheep and coins. But now it gets real personal when we get to home. But he actually wants us to see the intensity because of the personal, personal love of the Heavenly Father for those who are lost. And so he tells the lost sheep, he tells the lost coin, because he wants to show what is God's attitude towards sinners. He wants to show what does heaven value and celebrate? And I think in our searches and celebrations, it's what I entitled this, God searches and celebrations. We can tell a lot about what a culture, what a community really values by what makes us anxious or what we celebrate. I mean, what makes you anxious? It's amazing, isn't it, how 30 minutes of scrolling your feeds or watching the news can just make our pulses race. All of a sudden, you know, we didn't even know we were upset, and now we're in an outrage. We're anxious. We're fearful. Well, what if that happens to us? And, and these aren't illegitimate. What if these things happen in our schools? What if these things happen in our, you know, with those who teach our children? With, what do these things happen with our economy? And how, those, are, those are not illegitimate things. But it does, the things that we get anxious about tell us a lot about what we truly, truly value and where we find our sense of security and identity. And you can also tell that in what we celebrate. Uh, I heard uh, of a, one culture, I, th I think it's over um, in uh, one of the islands, um, places in Asia, that highly values and esteems deception and betrayal. Now, you, think, you might think we, we esteem that too, by the way we live around here. But this, this place, again, it's, it's more tribal and it's, it's a, a very located culture here. But it, the social status in this culture was ranked according to who could deceive the most outlandishly. 
And so uh, evidently this culture even has a festival that honors Judas, who's the poster child for betrayers. So you can tell what that culture, that community of people values most by what they honor. You win the prize for being the most outlandish deceiver, and we have a parade for Judas. And none of us wants our culture or community to be <laughs> marked by that. But, but, but back up from that to think about what are the things that we celebrate? What are the things we give most, most airtime to? What are the things that we give most attention to? Because we are in an attention-driven economy. And whatever can grab your attention and mind gets our hearts, gets our, our wallets, gets everything about us. What, what do we celebrate most? It will tell us a lot about what we value. Um, I, I just, curiosity, um, looked at well, who, are the, who has the most Instagram followers right now. Now, my son Noah could name these. I don't know that most of us in here, and most of these people, you wouldn't even know who they are unless you're just really into soccer. Okay, Cristiano Ronaldo has 564 million followers, followed by, he's a soccer player, followed by soccer player Lionel Messi, 443 million followers. Selena Gomez after that, Kylie Jenner, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he's got 369 million followers. Ariana Grande, 361. The point is not how many followers or whatever, simply to say there's a lot of attention given to those folks. There's a lot of hey, well, I want to know what they're about, and I want to, and, and I'm going to invest some of myself there. And we can tell a lot about our, a culture, a community, a church, a family, a person by what we celebrate. What gets our heart racing, either anxiously or full of joy, full of happiness? And Jesus is saying, I want you to, I want you to know this. Even while you Pharisees, he's not saying that, but he tells these parables to them, while you have this condemnatory smothering of these folks that you say, ah, he eats with these sinners. He goes, here's what heaven celebrates. What matters most is seen in heaven's celebrations. So what does heaven celebrate? What causes our heavenly father's heart to leap, the angels to throw a party? When the lost sheep and the lost coin, we see that which was lost and rescued that which was lost and regained. And so we see the intense search and the robust joy. If you just, if you're, if you don't feel like it's illegal, you can circle the word loss or lost in the passage just to see how much that jumps off the page. And the, these are pictures of God as our Father being a shepherd who goes after the lost sheep, or God as a woman who loses a coin, goes on this intense search. And both of these tell us we will take risk for what we value, particularly the shepherd going after the sheep. We will take risk for what we value, but also we will pull out all the stops to find it. Um, when she goes, she has to light... Uh, there was probably no window or maybe one, the very small, imagine a little adobe type hut, but it had a dirt floor, but some straw on it. So it didn't get quite as spongy into your feet, right? That's why she has to sweep the floor. And there's this coin somewhere under it. I, I heard um, Alistair Begg, he's a Scottish preacher, 
think Mike quoted him a few weeks ago, quite funny. Um, and he said, this is not about male or female things, but he goes, it is interesting. And he said, somebody told him this, that, you know, the, the man goes, we lost the coin. And he looks and he's like, yeah, I didn't see it. And then the woman says, well, did you look? Like, yeah, I looked. Well, how did you look? And, you know, and then, and then I, I, obviously the woman finds it and the man doesn't, basically is what it is. <laughs> because we give up the search too easily. Notice that God will not give up the search. As the shepherd, he says, I am going, I am going, I am risking, I will get there. The woman says, I am going to sweep every part of this straw. I may have to get all new straw, but the straw is going to, I mean, I'm going to find this coin because it was so valuable. And so the emphasis is on the recovery of that which is valuable. So if you're a person right now that feels like you're on the outs, that God would, there, there'd be no way God would accept you or go at, and that, that he would have anything to do with you. You are not irretrievable. And know this, you are valuable. The heart of heaven is that you would hear his call. You would, when you say, well, I've, I, I think I've found God, you would all of a sudden realize all along he had found me. Because that's, that's the type of God that he is. We sang about it. And people are like, well, how could God allow evil in the world and these horrible things and this and that? Well, how could he be a God that we sang about who weeps and who bleeds for you and for me would come and would suffer and would come and would die in my place? Except for that was the only way to be recovered, the only way to be regained, the only way to be found. And so know how valuable you are to him. The shepherd, when he finds a sheep, he doesn't punish the sheep. He doesn't lecture the sheep. He carries it on his shoulders. And in both stories, they call their friends and neighbors to come and they throw a robust party to celebrate the sheep that was found, the coin that was found. Because joy is the response to recovering that which was lost because it was so valuable. Thus, the Pharisees sitting here, their attitude doesn't match God's heart for the outsider. And so both of these, in some way, partially give us a picture of heaven's joy. I want you to hear this. Over one unbeliever who turns to faith in Christ, one sinner who repents, it means to change the mind and change the direction to be reoriented in where we will place our lives. And so that's both of these stories. The key question we come back to is what is God's attitude toward sinners, toward outsiders? And I say this to us, hear what God is saying to us as a church. Hear what God is saying to you. How does my attitude, how does our attitude toward the outsider, toward our neighbors, that we don't know if they know the Lord or not, how does our attitude match God's? Do we dismiss? Do we ignore? Do we not see those around us? where they're hurting, 
as we said a few weeks ago, where they're going after the same things we are. They're just looking in the wrong places. If this is God's attitude, he will give an intense search because of a deep, deep love and care. Does our attitude match his? What efforts are we going to to reach those who don't yet know him? You know, we are seeking to befriend and be good neighbors to 301. I pray that God would continue to keep those doors open, conversations happening, a time-to-time events happening. I pray that, that you and I, as we walk out the door, I pray you go out your front door every now and then, not just your alley, you know, your garage door and your alley, and you never see your neighbors. But I pray that he would do something in our hearts even this week. He'd allow us to see others and, and have the question, Do you see them as I see them? Do you love them as I love them? Where are we as a church neglecting his call on us in this community? How do your searches now personally, how do your searches and celebrations about what really matters to you line up? How do yours line up with our Heavenly Father's pursuit of and rejoicing of the lost, rescued, or regained? Uh, In Jonah, the book of Jonah, a lot of Old Testament uh, stories, we do this. We make them like they're the Bible heroes, and we've been in a men's study, been looking at five different characters, and nobody would make Cain one, but Moses, David, you, the big boys, right? You're like, and we tend to go, these are the heroes of the faith. And I love that the author, the guy that we were going through this book, he says, these aren't heroes, they're humans. And we're, we're, we're actually shown, yes, sometimes they do some heroic, courageous things, we're actually allowed to see, God lets the curtain be peeled back to show how human, how sinful they are. And so the, 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 uh, you know, the exhortation is not, be like David. It is, you are like David, murderous and adulterous in your heart, prone to wander from your God. But you also have the same invitation to repent and to say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a right spirit. And so Jonah is one of those. And I think Jonah is an Old Testament version, good picture and embodiment of the Pharisees and for many of us, I believe. Because in Jonah chapter 4, we find out that he, uh, in Jonah 1, when he decided, God said, go to Nineveh, and he said, I'll go the farthest other way. God says, all right, well, I'm going to let you get thrown off of a ship, swallowed by a big fish, and then the fish will spit you out, and I'm going to give you another chance. And so Jonah does go to Nineveh. He probably gives the worst sermon ever, and, God, and the Ninevites repent. And God relents, and he does, he's merciful to them. And then Jonah says, I knew you'd do that. And he quotes one of the most threaded through the Old Testament um, verses, really the character qualities of God that start in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. But Jonah says this as he's kind of ticked at God, like, yeah, see, I knew the Ninevites would, you know, <laughs> He says, nope, this is why I didn't go that way, because I know that you're slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. I know that at your heart of hearts, you are so stinking patient with us, stubborn, sinful, resistant, and I didn't want them to have any bit of this. That's a heart that doesn't match God's heart for the outsiders, and I think for many of us, we can be that way. One of our marks of a a disciple here is influence with outsiders. What do we do with this heart 
I think we look for what are the ways that I have share in common with my neighbor, with my coworker, that I could just begin a conversation often by simply asking them what's going on in their life or going, you know, man, I, I, I remember once this or let me tell you about this and we just open a little bit of ourselves or we share, I don't know, we like, um, you know, golf. So we go to Top Golf and hit balls. That's called cultivating common ground. We're seeking for some way to have a conversation with them. And that's not just what are your hobbies, what are your interests. It could often be a source of pain for one person. Maybe you've experienced that. You don't say, I know exactly how you feel. You just say, you know, I had a similar experience. But it's, I cultivate common ground with nonbelievers so as to have salt and light influence with them to win them to Christ. Why? Because that's part of my searching, really, God's searching for them through little old me trying to cultivate a conversation where God might get them, where God might have his care be communicated through me noticing this person. And more and more today, we are so isolated and people feel so unseen. I pray that God would open every single one of our hearts to open our eyes to see those he's putting right in our path so we might welcome them and eat with them. Now, I want to give you a picture of this. If the Kaufmans would come up, Jordan and Katie, um, they have a ministry called T- Tenor. I'm going to give part of your spiel here. It's, a, it's really an extension of Young Life um, where originally, which is always go to a kid's turf or, or get on, you know, meet them where they are kind of deal. But it stands for Tuesday dinner. I'll, d- I'll do that calculus for them. Share a little bit about that and then an opportunity where we might support and even be a part of God's search for some folks. Yeah, we debated doing it on Wednesday. That'd be winter, which is kind of attractive. And we <laughs> thought like Thursday would be thinner. That sounded kind of maybe not good. And then Saturday center was definitely. <laughs> um, so this is our own little Jonah story of how Alan was our little Nineveh. We, um, we will never live in Alan is what we told God at one point in time. And now here we are uh, living in Alan, as you may know. Uh, and our goal is to have this one mile radius of where we live in church, home, ministry is all kind of one little area. Um, and so, uh, like Pastor Buddy said, we lived, uh, we worked with Young Life for years with the Trevathans, were a big impact in our lives. Um, and we came to see a very large, overlooked, um, largely unseen group of students. Um, they're a group of students that everyone thinks they have their stuff together. They're really bright kids. They get A's in their classes, and they're super involved in every club. But um, we just noticed that a lot of these kids had real struggles um, and just lost in a lot of ways. Um, and they're overlooked because they look like they all have their crap together, you know, like we do. Can I say crap? Okay. <laughs> I just said crap, so. Uh, so cool. So we walk alongside these kids. We really enjoy them, love them a lot, um, talk with them about life, uh, kind of what we believe and invest in their lives. Um, this is a generation that doesn't have a lot of people that are adults investing in their lives, their peers or their Uh, the ones who invest in them. And so we talk about themes about like relationship, identity, purpose in life, facing the future, dealing with loss, disappointment, and just stuff that we all go through in life. And we want to walk alongside them and kind of talk with them, hear what they say, listen to what they say, and kind of talk about how our walk with God kind of intersects with that um, and how we believe that ultimately um, God for us is a solution in our lives to a lot of these things. So, um, yeah, to a lot of those questions. We eat with them, we hang out with them, uh, we love on these kids and just notice them in a world that doesn't notice these bright kids. 
Um, and so our kind of goal is just really to bless these kids and to encourage them, celebrate them. Um, we have some seniors who are graduating. We just want to send them off super well. Um, we have some things that we're going to do for these sen uh, these seniors. So, there, is there anything else you want to add before we jump into that part? Um, I would just say one thing that that ties into kind of what Buddy was saying at the end there is that a lot of people, when we talk about tenor and we we um, meet parents and they're like, oh my gosh, what you're doing is so incredible. It's so awesome. It's amazing. And I think those are all like we appreciate that. Um, but I think all of those words can almost be a remove, a way to step back and say, well, what you're doing, we can't do, which is a lie. That's not true. Um, we're not doing anything incredible. We're doing something that each of us is called to. We're just available. That's all we are. There's nothing special about us. God hasn't given us any in that y'all don't have with your people. And so I guess I would just say, like, look around because you you already have someone. I guarantee you, God doesn't waste any place that you are. And so just, you know, kind of look at it and don't go, oh, I could never do that. Approach it as, well, how could I do that? Maybe I can't do this, but maybe I could do this. So that's all I would add. Um, so Buddy asked us to come up and talk about that a little bit, but also just we desire to send these kids off well. We have about um, 15 to 20 graduating seniors who have been such good kids. Um, we desire to love on them and to send them off well. We have some cool bags that we're going to make, uh, some water bottles with the Tinner logo. We've got some hammocks. Uh, I say hammock because I used to say hammock, and then my wife like chided me. It's hammock in Texas, so I say hammock now. Um, and we have some Spanish and English uh, Bibles because I'm a Spanish teacher, right? So it makes sense. And it kind of encompasses everything we do. We hang out, we talk, we eat, and we uh, um, just talk about deep things in life. So. Um, we love them a lot. Um, Jesus loves them more. Um, so we would just ask if you guys would be interested in helping out. We have some needs for these kids. Um, so a lot of you have already helped out so much. We thank you so much for the food. Like a lot of what we do is just eating together and having meals together. And y'all free us up to do that. And it's been such a huge blessing. And they're like, where do you get all this food? We're like, well, we have some cool people at our church who love us and love y'all and care about you and are willing to help out. So we appreciate y'all for that. And if you're interested, there's a QR code up there. That's to an Amazon wish list thing, and it's some of the gifts that we're going to give to the seniors. Um, our last tenor is kind of a, a blessing the seniors type of a thing where we kind of speak some truth into their lives and have them talk about what they're going to do and also give them some cool stuff, uh, just hopefully to remember their time. Um, a lot go into college. Yeah, trigger their memories, and a lot of them will go into college and try to find a similar group that talks about these deep things and we got some fun stories if y'all want to talk to us sometime. So that was not two minutes. I'm so sorry. I have a buddy syndrome where I talk a lot. Tell I'm you, a teacher. Not only, not only would, I, not only would I not um, uh, restrict his speech up here, but I won't restrict you using your phone right now. I'd encourage you, even if you're not looking at it right now, to get your phone out and go to the QR code. It'll take you to that. Even if you don't end up contributing, it just gives you that picture of what they're doing. And they mentioned it, but I just want to say this. Um, in terms of aligning ourselves with God's heart attitude, but also going to intense measures at time. What's the cost we're willing to go to? Like those pictures were in their house. Their house was like built in 70s, 80s. I don't know, but but very rooms like this. And Katie's inspiration, and then Jordan's sweat. They basically gutted their house to redo it where it could fit the kids. And that's just a very tangible way of saying. Lord, we're here, we're available. And it really, it, they're not just blowing smoke. Like, it's not fancy. It's just opening their home. And those kids are starving for it. And so what a great opportunity for us as a church. You guys have been blessing them with meals. 
But if you are um, moved to do that, we just want to put that in front of you. Thank you, guys. Um, and I want to say this. Worship team, come up. We're going to finish with a song. But just back to hearing what God is saying to you. If, you. if you are feeling, maybe you're a believer, but you feel like you're a lost cause. If you feel like I've blown it, you feel like God doesn't want anything to do with me. I want you to see how valuable you are. That even right now, even this morning, that God is pursuing you. And one of the things I learned about sheep this week was we are sheep because we're dumb. But sheep are so oriented this way, like they'll see grass and they'll just get on some place that they could never get down from and they'll just fall to their death. But they got to have that grass unless somebody comes and rescues them. The reason why the shepherd puts them on his shoulder is not just because, oh, this is a cuddly thing. It's because the sheep needed the, the rescuing, the I'm going to bring you home. And that's the only way to be in right relationship with God is that he comes to us and we simply respond to his grace and mercy. And if you're already a believer and you feel like I am just, I've just blown it too much, don't believe that lie. He loves you. He is pursuing you. And he wants to put you on his shoulders and bring you, bring you back home. And unlike the Pharisees who wanted to wag their fingers and roll their eyes, when you sin, when you're struggling, that's not how God looks at you. Because he rejoices in repentance, and Paul tells us in Romans, it's your kindness that brings me to repentance. I would so much want you to know the kindness and grace of Jesus for you. We're going to sing, oh, praise the name. Maybe we'll just do the chorus and because buddy went long. <laughs> Would you stand? We'll sing this and be dismissed. <laughs>